This is a Founding Media podcast produced at Austin Community College District. Welcome to Science in the Mall, y'all. I'm your host, Dan Dillard. Since COVID-19 has impacted the world, we want to focus the next few episodes on the work and some of the science being done here locally in Austin. Today, I'm joined by Brian Windsor, CEO of Lung Therapeutics. Lung Therapeutics is developing a pipeline of drug therapeutics for lung conditions that would otherwise require invasive surgery to treat. One of the lung conditions that the company is developing a drug to treat is idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. This drug is particularly important right now because of people infected with COVID are more likely to develop IPF. However, this was not the path Brian planned on pursuing at all. Growing up, he wanted to be a musician and a rock star. But one biology course at a community college changed everything for him. Let's jump into the conversation so we can hear more about Brian's journey to the sciences and the life-saving drugs Lung Therapeutics is developing. Brian, thanks for being with us. I'd love to get to know a little bit more about your background and how you got started off uh, with lung therapeutics. Sure. Um, no, it's my pleasure, Dan. Thanks so much. Um, I've been with Lung Therapeutics about seven and a half years now, almost from company inception. The company was founded out of the University of Texas Health Science Center in Tyler um, uh, in early 2013. Uh, by Dr. Uh, Steve Idell and Dr. Uh, Andrew Mazar. Uh, and I was uh, brought in uh, as the first employee, as the CEO in the summer of 2013. So it's, uh, it's been, uh, it's been a, a good time with the company so far. You want to tell us more about what you guys do over at Lung Therapeutics? Yes. Um, and so the company was named before I came on board. Uh, initially, I thought uh, that the name was a little vanilla. Um, but but then I realized it's actually great to work for a company whose name says what you do. Right. So, you know, <laughs> we, we develop drugs for severe lung conditions. Um, and specifically, we're working on two two drugs uh, that are in the clinic. Uh, one is for a complication of pneumonia called a loculated pleural effusion. Uh, the other is uh, uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, which is a scarring inside the lungs. Well, you know, I'm going to ask you what each of those drugs does just to kind of give us an, an the people that aren't in science understanding of what, what, what you guys actually do with those drugs. Absolutely. Um, and I, I had never heard of a loculated pleural effusion. I studied science. Um, I've been in, in biotech some, a, num- a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but So it's quite common with hospitalized pneumonia to develop what's called a pleural effusion, and that is fluid around the lungs. Normally, the lungs, there's a wall uh, that abuts right up to the lungs. Uh, but if you get sick, sometimes that 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 it fills with fluid and creates right. a fluid-filled pocket. That's okay. called a pleural effusion. Okay. Typically, that fluid is resorbed by the body, or sometimes a doctor has to come in and physically insert a chest tube to, to drain the fluid. Um, occasionally, about 10% of the time, scar tissue begins to form in that pocket. Just like when you cut your finger, your body's response is to clot. And so that's what your body is doing with the fluid around the lungs. It's trying to clot. But what ends up happening is the scar tissue 
walls off the fluid and it creates pockets that trap the fluid. So now you've got this collection of infected fluid, mm-hmm. but no way to drain it. Oh wow! Uh, the, the only approved way to resolve that condition is to go see a thoracic surgeon. Uh, and it's obviously a very invasive surgery to go in, uh, clear out the scar tissue and drain the fluid. Um, some doctors use uh, clot busting drugs off label to try to break up the clot to get it to drain. They're not very safe. They're not approved. So our drug will be the first approved labeled drug. It's injected into the chest tube. It goes in, it breaks up the scar tissue and allows for drainage. So you don't have to go see a surgeon and spend the whole month in the hospital. Wow. Congratulations. That sounds really exciting and, and definitely something revolutionary for sure. Not anytime there's a drug that's, that reduces in, you know, invasive surgery, that's thumbs up. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's really a, a win-win for, for everybody. It's great for the patients. It's great for the, the hospitals. Um, it's, and we, 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 we just want to help right. uh, these, this patient group. So it's- Go ahead. I was I was going to say the other drug um, mm-hmm. is for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So this is a, a condition that uh, afflicts probably 140,000 people in the U.S. are living with it each year, maybe 40,000 new cases each year approximately. Um, it's a devastating disease. So scar tissue begins to form inside the lungs. Okay. Um, and doctors really don't know why. Um, and uh, uh, the mortality rate is 80% within five years. Oh, wow. It's really, really devastating. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of drugs currently on the market. They they don't do very much. They slow the progression of the disease by about a year. So okay. um, our drug, we are hoping, will be uh, one that can actually sort of resolve the fibrosis or scar tissue formation and help restore some lung function. But we're still still working on that. Well, that sounds exciting as well. I want to get back to more of an origin story. Like what got you involved in this type of medicine, this type of uh, work? Uh, so it's it's a really interesting story <laughs> and a little bit a little bit of a wandering path. Yeah. Um, I. Uh, I never intended to study science or medicine. I was a musician uh, growing up. I studied uh, piano uh, 14 years um, and wanted to be, you know, the rock and roll superstar. That was, Mm -hmm. that was the goal uh, growing up. up? I grew up up in, in uh, Irving, Texas. So in the suburb of, of Dallas. Okay. Yeah, grew up in in the Dallas area. You said area. music. I immediately thought Austin, but no, not Austin, but still Texas. No, so. yeah, still still Texas, still Texas. Yeah. Um, and kind of my my thought uh, was that, uh, well, I'll go, I'll go to school, I'll study something, but then you know the band will get discovered, and right. and I'll have to drop out of school to tour Rock worldwide. And roll or, yeah, that's right. Um, so we all know what happened, right? Yeah. The. Uh, <laughs> So I went to the University of North Texas uh-huh. uh, for a year. I studied radio, TV, film, okay. um, but but really was still uh, very much into music. And um, after a year, the band part didn't really work out so well, but I dropped out of school anyway. Got it. Uh, I started working um, in restaurants okay. um, just to, um, to, obviously, just to just to make some money. Right. Um, I, I ended up... Um, owning a restaurant, uh, in Waco. Uh, I was there for a year, had a restaurant with a, with a partner. Um, that didn't uh, ultimately work out, but tell me uh, how that started though. I'm curious. 
So I was, I was waiting tables uh, at a restaurant um, in the Dallas area and my manager and I got to be good friends. Uh, and he and I would go out at night and talk, you know, at coffee shops and things. And he would always complain because um, he specialized in opening restaurants for other people. So he would come in, design the menu, design the kitchen, hire the staff uh, to get paid on a contract basis and then leave. And he said, Oh, I, I do all this work for other people. And, and, and then they get all the, all the reward. And so stupidly I said, Oh, we ought to open our own restaurant, you know? So <laughs> that was mis- mistake. Uh, I guess, I guess number two. Uh, learning so far. lesson. Is what That's right. Learning lesson. Lesson. So we did, we, we opened a restaurant uh, in Waco. Uh, I was there for about a year and um, then um, we kind of had a falling out. I, I moved back to, to the Dallas area and discovered after you've owned a restaurant, people just assume you know what you're doing. So I could get a restaurant manager job right. pretty easy. So I started, I was managing um, an oyster bar um, on Lower Greenville Avenue in Dallas. Um, and uh, it's kind of, my life really wasn't going anywhere. Okay. Um, and um, sorry, this is kind no, of no, meandering no. around, you great. know, but um I, I was there working in the in the oyster bar, and uh, of course, the restaurant lifestyle is just not a very good right. lifestyle, you know, and and not really any potential for your future. Mm-hmm. And at the time, my brother was an attorney, my sister's an attorney, my sister in law's an attorney, and then there was me. So mom and dad <laughs> so felt out very, of sorts, <laughs> right? Yeah, especially mom and dad felt out of sorts. They they were not thrilled with with their son, uh, you know, just, uh, standing around in the oyster bar all day. But I really didn't, I really didn't know what I would study. I had, I told people I will never go back to college. I'd, I'd said, I'm never going back to college, but I, I finally just kind of got pushed, um, circumstantially into, you know, I've got to do something else with my life. Um, and, uh, so I really, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was because I personally have a, a, a big place in my heart for community colleges. Because when I was in Dallas working at the restaurant and my life going kind of nowhere, um, there was a community college, El Centro Community College in Dallas um, that was downtown and I could take some classes in the day and I was still working at night. I just got a general liberal arts degree plan. I didn't know what I wanted to study. So I just thought I'll just start taking a class or two a semester just to try to get some credits. Um, I I was kind of outraged that with a liberal arts plan, you had to take four science classes. Well, (laughs) yeah, I didn't understand why. But a blessing in disguise. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But um, I ended up taking a biology class and the teacher, Wayne Myers uh, is his name. Uh, It just, he's one of those teachers that um, turns your life around. And those teachers and their names for the rest of your life, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I had never, uh, to me, biology was like, uh, dissect a worm and memorize the parts of a cell. And it was, it was completely boring, but actually science is really about, uh, kind of, it's like a mystery. There's, there's, there's something going on Mm -hmm. and we have to figure out using these tools, how to solve this puzzle. And that's, it kind of opened my eyes and, and I saw, wow, this is something really interesting and something I think I could study. So um, I d- decided to transfer to UT Austin 
Um, and I finished my undergraduate at UT Austin and then got a PhD in molecular biology at oh, wow. UT Austin. He yeah. certainly impacted your life for sure. Absolutely. Great. So then take us from UT Austin graduate to where you're at now. So I, you can kind of see from, from my growing up, I've had an entrepreneurial kind of bug in mm-hmm. me from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a grad student, I got involved in a project. Um, another grad student really had started the, the project um, in, a, in a different lab, but I got to, to work on this project and uh, there ended up being some uh, technology that was invented during mm-hmm. the process. This related to um, drug resistance transporters and um, uh, the the activity of those in in plants and other organisms. And so, this technology was patented by the university, um, and I was an inventor on that patent. Um, and so, I kind of I, I had an advisor, Alan Lloyd, uh, but then a second a person, um, uh, Stan Rue, uh, was almost like a co-advisor. And so I, I told my advisors, I said, well, we ought to start a biotech company. <laughs> Does this sound familiar? Yeah. We ought to start our own biotech company mm-hmm. and license our patents and, and run with it. And so that's what we did. So we were able to license the technology. And um, I kind of started down the school of hard knocks on how do you pitch to an investor? How do you uh, put a work plan together? How do you uh, w- take this scientific project, science project, and make it a commercial product? Uh, and so we formed a company, and that company uh, was going for a few years. And um, uh, we finally got some some people involved who really knew about biotech and really knew about um uh, running a company like that. And, and, uh, but by that time we were a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt to patent attorneys. Um, and I find out, found out then that uh, venture capital doesn't like to, to fund your debt. So we weren't able to get any, any funding and that kind of also, um, crashed and burned, but, uh, got me off. Yeah. Bigger Bigger learning lesson. That's right. There there are always always lessons uh, in in hindsight. You know, when you're in the middle of it, it's it's such a tough go. But um, no, in, in hindsight, I'm really thankful that that I had those experiences. All this time, uh, tell us about your family. Do you have a family, and how do, how do they support you, and all that kind of good stuff? Yes, I, I have a wonderful family. Uh, I married my wife uh, Rebecca, um, and I. We have three children. Um, our oldest daughter is um, going into her junior year in college uh, right now. And then we've got a son in high school and a, and a daughter in middle school. And they're incredibly supportive. Uh, the family's very supportive. Uh, you know, to be in, in biotech, um, uh, there's a lot of risk that, mm-hmm. that you take. Uh, and I'm, I'm really thankful that I've, Do I've got the Do you see any little scientists or, any, or, or little mathematicians or little entrepreneurs around? Yet, actually, it's funny. So, my my oldest daughter, who's in college right now, um, kind of always used to say, um, "Well, I'm 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 never going to go into, into science." She she was the one that dad did that, so I'm not going to do it. Right. But she's got a a pretty brilliant mind for math, and um, she is a creative writing major 
with a math concentration, uh, which is uh, kind of an unusual right brain, left brain combination. Uh, but she's got the math uh, part for sure. And then my son, uh, I, I think my son may go into into science or medicine. He okay. he likes science. He's um, he's taking some some tough science courses um, in high school right now. Uh, I think he may have have the science bug. Our youngest. Um, Still too early to tell. Yeah, still a little too early. She's a big time animal lover. That's that's oh, all we can tell from I've her so far. A daughter, and that's what she's about is is animal animals, and we'll see what happens. So yeah, we're yeah, on the same yeah. boat there. Yeah. So let's get back to okay. We you started the second business and did that for a while, and that was a another learning lesson. And then how did you go from there to uh, where you're at now? So I spent um, kind of the in-between years uh, with a group called Emergent Technologies uh, here in Austin. It's sort of a hybrid venture um, kind of slash incubator group um, that their their mission was to identify interesting technologies out of universities and then spin those into companies. Uh, my job at Emergent um, was really to help identify technologies at, at the universities um, and to see about taking those and putting them into kind of a small startup company. So it was kind of a compressed lesson in going from idea to kind of development or product candidate in a very short period of time. Their business model was really not to kind of further fund those ventures, but to try to do strategic partnering uh, for uh, all of all of their the, the products in their, their young companies, um, which, you know, worked out sometimes, um, but it, it doesn't work out all of the time. Um, and in 2013, I really began to feel that I wanted to be a part of something where we could, uh, kind of continue to build the company through mm -hmm. rounds of venture funding or kind of the, I guess, a more old fashioned way of, of building a company and building value. Right. Um, so spent spent kind of the interim time at Emergent with um, a lot of their portfolio companies, just um, uh, running various aspects of the, the portfolio companies there. Okay, and then they introduced you to uh, Lung Therapies or Lung Therapeutics. So I I ended up leaving uh, Emergent just. Um, kind of wanted to to part ways um, in, tw in 2013 and and really was looking for an opportunity to do something like lung therapeutics. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I, I, I left uh, without having a job. Mm -hmm. um, uh, leap of faith. Right, leap of faith. That's, huh? that's right. That's right. So, but I, but I really strongly believed that the the best way to, to kind of move forward was to, to, to find an idea where we could, kind of build a company. Um, and I was doing the thing that everyone says to do, have coffee with all of your contacts, right? Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. just have lunch or coffee with everybody that you know and say, hey, do you know of some interesting ideas or have you seen anything? And I met with some people at the UT Horizon Fund, which is the venture fund of the U University of Texas system. Okay. Um, and they... I was talking to them about one idea, which they really weren't very interested in, but they said, you know, we've got this technology out of Tyler uh, that you might uh, want to think about. And initially I, I kind of dismissed it. And then I went back and I thought, wait a minute, they're, 
they're telling me there's some technology there and they're they're interested in finding someone to to run maybe it. run this run this company. Yeah. Uh, and so I thought, well, I better go check this out. And so I drove to Tyler. I met with Steve Idell, the physician founder, uh, who's a, a just a great guy, tremendous um, uh, person and uh, and founder of the company. Um, we hit it off, and um, I hit it off with the Horizon Fund, and and so they were they were looking for a CEO who was would be willing to come in and raise money for the company. Actually, not draw a salary until. He raised money for Got the company, okay. so another kind of kind of leap of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Dr. Idell had received a tremendous amount of grant funding for the pneumonia-related uh, program uh, that has eventually become our LTI one drug and is now in a phase two clinical trial. Um, and with all of the grant funding, I mean millions of dollars of grant funding. Um, investors love non-dilutive capital, right? So I thought, I think I could get some investors interested in this program. Uh, I started going around kind of pitching angel groups. Um, one of the angel groups was the Cowtown Angels in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. Um, two of the members really liked the the program. They knew about uh, biotech. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the angel group as a whole, I think just was not ready to do another pharma deal. They'd already done a deal. Right. Uh, but the two individuals there, um, contacted me, they got, they had gotten with a third individual and kind of started a partnership for funding life science ventures on right. their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, that group today is called bios partners. Okay. Uh, they are, a bona fide venture fund. They've got several uh, companies that they have have invested in. Uh, Lung Therapeutics was the second company that they uh, invested in. And you had no money raising experience before then. You just jumped in. Um, I had a little bit of experience when I was with Emergent. Some of the portfolio companies, we would raise a little bit of capital. And then there was some uh, some funds that were raised at Emergent, and I would okay. go along to help make the presentations and and help do the pitches and um, uh, with those portfolio companies. But yeah, some just some limited experience makes sense. And that company, obviously, with LT One, that was a very different company than where you guys are now. So, how hard is it to to? So, I've had other guests on on uh, podcast shows before, uh, scientists and. People that uh, that uh, build you know pharmaceutical companies uh, from the get go, and I've also interviewed entrepreneurs that are just doing either tech or other types of business. It's a very different business model. The amount of money you've got to raise. Will you kind of walk us through the the hardships or what's some of the things, the challenges that you've got to you know uh, raise when you're trying to build a pharma company? Yes, uh, you're you're right. It's a very capital intensive um, business. Um, so far, we've raised. Uh, I think just over $55 million in equity financing. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not a lot. Um, There are a lot of companies now doing series a rounds or their first round of funding that do 50 million plus for the first round of funding. Uh, So total of, and that's over three rounds of funding. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, that's really not a lot of money, but um, it just takes a lot of capital to, make the drugs, to make sure that they're safe, to test the drugs, to go into the clinic. Um, I think our current um, uh, projected manufacturing spend is about $15 million over the next year. Um, Just for the 
for the one drug, uh, the LTIO one, it's just incredibly expensive to uh, to make these drugs and to test them. So um, I don't know what it's like in a tech startup. I don't, I don't want right. to I don't want to minimize the the hardships that they go through. But when I think of tech, I think of you, know, you can start with your computer in your garage. You know, you've got a phone, you've got a computer, you've got an idea. Hundred thousand um, dollars and right, and, you know, and that'll I, get you started. And so yeah, my, yeah to, that's right. Yeah, you, you'll have my, to raise money down the road, but a fifty million dollars that you know gets the tech company way for much further than just testing one drug. I remember one of my uh, the the scientist I was interviewing before talked about um, the compared or did the comparison between uh, drugs and uh, old rock and roll bands go back back to rock and roll bands and having these producers that would that would uh, say we're going to lose nine times before we win one so we have to add all these losses into that one so it's like when you're developing a drug you might spend two hundred million dollars on each drug but you're going to fail four times. So the real cost of the drug that actually performs is like a billion dollars. And and that's how it made sense for me. So I was, that's the first time that it opened my eyes to how expensive it is to not only develop, but also test and, and do all the testing that get sponsored and so on and so forth. So yeah, I, I congratulations to all the work that you've done. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a big mountain to climb. Well, thank you. And I, I, uh... I've got a great team uh, and I've got great investors. I've got a great board. I, I really do have a lot of help. Um, and so they've, they've been a tremendous help. But you're right. You're right. It's um, uh, it's the, the thing about drug development that I think um, uh, people don't have an appreciation of is that there comes a point in our business where things become completely out of our control. And that is you get to a point in the clinic where the drug either works or it doesn't work. And despite all the science, despite all the, the effort, all the work that you put into it, um, a drug can fail for a number of reasons that are outside of your control. So um, you're right, there's a, a risk element uh, involved. And that's, that's why um, investors want 10 times their money back. Right, uh, because like you risk. said, nine out of ten are going to fail. So mm-hmm. that one uh, oil well that uh, does gush, they 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 want to they want a big one for that. So speaking of finances, how does ACC help? How does the the lab? You know, we this is science in the mall, y'all. So how, tell us about that relationship and and how you value that relationship. Yeah, so I will just say. Uh, again, I've got a real soft spot in my heart for community colleges. Uh, I think they 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 played a huge role in my life personally, um, and they they play a tremendous role in the community. Um, without ACC, companies like ours just could not move forward. So wow. he, here's another difference between the biotech company and the tech company: is if you're doing any sort of research at all. Uh, or even some aspects of development, you have to have a lab. You can't just work out of your garage. Um, and you have to have a lab to be able to apply for certain small business grants that a mm-hmm. lot of very early stage biotech companies want to get these grants. That's maybe the only means of funding that they have. Uh, and to do these, you have to have a lab space and it has to be controlled by you. So in other words, it can't be at a university where the university owns the intellectual property. Right. You've got to have your own lab space. So for ACC to have this biotechnology program, uh, to have the lab space available to companies like ours, it's 
it's it's complete make or it, break. It's, yeah, it's it's make or break. So we hired a scientist a few years ago, Brianne McKenzie. Um, she's really kind of single handedly done all of the research work for us, but we we hired her to do some confirmatory experiments, and then she's she's done all of that work um, at ACC. Uh, typically in conjunction with uh, investigators at uh, the University of Texas. So it allows us to have our lab space and and to do experiments and get all that stuff done. That's wonderful. When I first heard about this and did the walkthrough with Nancy and looked at all the facilities and what they've got there, it's just, it's just incredible what they've done with that space. And it's also inspiring to see how many companies are growing out of that space and, and what that's doing to our health. Uh, and among other things, it's not just health related, but they do a lot of things that are helping, for example, right now during COVID with all the, the, you know, we're all really concerned about our health and knowing that there's four or five, six companies here in Austin starting in a space like this, creating stuff and technologies that are just amazing for our health. So it's, it's, it's pretty inspiring. I really, really, uh, uh, admire the, the work that's being done there and admire what you're doing there. Um, so now you get LT1. You want to talk about the other? I mean, we, we touched on the other two drugs. What what phases are they in, and and what do we? What's the future look like for the next five years for you guys? Yeah. So LTI one again is in a phase two clinical trial. So that what we're doing in that trial is to try to find uh, the right dose of the drug to move forward ultimately mm-hmm. in a phase three trial, and to also show that it works. Um, we have so for the audience, how many phases mm-hmm. do you go before it gets approved, and what does that look like? Because I just want to paint the picture. Typically, there are three clinical phases. Uh, phase one is traditionally safety, um, looking exclusively at safety, most of the time in just healthy subjects, uh, people that volunteer to come in um, and take your drug in a, in a clinical setting. Uh, phase two is when you get into trying to find your dose and also proving that it works in a kind of relatively small setting. Um uh, Phase three then is proving the drug works in a much larger setting. So those are traditionally the the phases. And then after phase three, that's when other you know that's when it can be public, and and I guess other pharmaceutical companies come in and try to maybe make offers and kind of expand this drug. I would assume some of the that's pathways. that's right that's right. Uh, t- typically for a biotech like ours. Um, uh, you do want to continue to, to grow the company, but there's always the the possibility or the hope uh, that big pharma will come in at some point and right swoop check. in, you know, right, for your company or for the drug or uh, for one of those. So Make, makes that's sense. what we work towards. Yeah. You, you mentioned um, in our first conversation um, that you had a drug that has already been swooped up by, by one. Is that correct or not? No, okay. no. So nice we, we've... Yeah, we, we've had some interest um, from pharma companies, but honestly, that's that's not unusual. Uh, they're always on the lookout for right. uh, for interesting, yeah, interesting compounds. Um, okay, so I interrupted you. L L L T one is phase two, and then you've got uh, LTI two. LTIO three is okay. is in a phase one clinical trial, so that's a safety trial. So we're just having kind of a first preliminary look to see. Okay. what the safety is of that drug. So, Oh, I, Dan, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I know what you're talking about. So we had a technology in lung therapeutics that we spun out into a separate company and that company, uh, it actually went public last October. Uh, it's called TFF 
pharmaceuticals. So, um, yeah, we, we have a technology that we, we spun out into its own entity. Well, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago and I, I had a distinct memory about something, but it's like, well, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> so that's yeah, so yeah. that's that, So you know a little bit about that process. Um, we also talked about, um, or the question really in, in everybody's mind is, you know, what we're doing for COVID. So does, does, does lung therapeutics uh, impact anything with what's going on with COVID? Is it a, is it something that's going to help or, you know, or not? Yes. I, 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 I mean, the short answer is yes. Uh, both of the drugs that we're working on, I think will benefit, um, maybe not COVID directly, but, uh, in indirect effects of COVID. Uh, so, uh, there is the potential for increasing cases of pneumonia. Um, our first drug, LTIO one was certainly benefit patients that, that become complicated, right. uh, with pneumonia. Uh, but COVID is also beginning early on to show that, uh, survivors may have some long-term, uh, deleterious effects. And one of those could be the potential for pulmonary fibrosis, which is the second sort of indication that we treat. So I think it's possible that unfortunately pulmonary fibrosis, um, uh, may rise, uh, in terms of the incidence, uh, and our second drug would certainly, uh, be able to benefit those patients. That makes sense. So not, that's what you mean by not directly, but indirectly, we are hearing more and more reports where all the other effects that COVID has, it's not just the immediate attack, it's the long-term and, and you, some of these, the drugs that you're, you're producing now help in the long-term effects is what it sounds like. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. So I don't, I don't think that we can have a, an impact on COVID uh, directly. Um, but I, I do believe we can benefit the long-term effects. The patients at the end of the day are going to need help. So whether right. it's direct or indirect, they're still going to need that. So Brian, what's the next five years look like for you guys? Well, primarily we'd like to continue to develop the drugs and grow the company uh, so that we can uh, get these drugs ultimately to patients and to the market, whether that's through funding or strategic partnering. Uh, one way or another, we'd just like to continue to move the company forward. Brian, I really enjoyed this conversation. I, I um, There's so much of, obviously, your industry I do not understand, but it's always nice to speak to someone that has especially taken the entrepreneurial route and kind of figured their own path. Because at the end of the day, all humans are out there trying to figure their path and figured a path that works for them. And it sounds like that's what you've done and are doing, continuing to do. Uh, so congratulations on all that work. And I'm really pleased with the work that you guys do. And I just wish the best of luck to you guys. Thanks for being on the show. Dan, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you again, Brian, for joining us on Science in the Mall, y'all. It was a pleasure to hear more about your unique journey and how this path has led you to life-changing science. If you'd like to learn more about what they're doing, please visit the link in our show notes. Science in the Mall, y'all, is created in partnership between Founding Media and the Austin Community College Bioscience Incubator. To learn more about the ACC Bioscience Incubator, please visit the link in our show notes. If you like what you hear on this show, please be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend or family member. Thank you.